Hello, everyone. My name is Jason Wolf, and you are listening to How to Be Like Jesus, Episode 3, How to Read the Bible Like Jesus. And as the, the title of this episode says, today we are talking about how to read the Bible like Jesus. It's a, a, a very good topic, a very important topic that Christians need to understand. And it's a topic that, if you think about it, is strangely um, kind of neglected and left out of our attempts to read and understand the Bible properly. And so if you think about it, I mean, think about all the different books that are out there talking about how to read the Bible correctly. I have some books on this topic. And if you are a student at a Bible college or seminary or something like that, which I have, I've never been, I have no theological training or, or official theological education from, from anything like that. Okay. And, but um, for many people that go to, to get degrees from a, a Bible college, or, Bible college or seminary, you will have to take classes on this, on this, on, on reading the Bible. And on do and on learning hermeneutics, which is just a fancy word talking about the the rules for reading the Bible correctly. Okay, basically, and you'll be doing exegesis, and that's just a word meaning you are drawing the meaning out of the out of the text. Okay, think of like exit. You leave the text. You <laughs> exiting like you're leaving somewhere. So exegesis is like reading the meaning of the Bible, reading the me meaning of a certain passage from getting it out of that passage itself, as opposed to what is called eisegesis, which is taking a meaning that you already have and then reading that into the Bible because you want because you want the Bible to say something. So you take an idea and read it into the Bible. That's eisegesis. You don't want to do that. You want to do exegesis, understand what the Bible actually says, and take that meaning out of the Bible. But so the so these are all things you will learn if you go to Bible college, if you go to seminary, and they will, you, you will, of course, have to spend, take class after class, semester after semester, learning Hebrew, learning Greek, you know, you have to learn these original languages, because you have to learn the grammar, and, and you have to prove that you can read the Bible in the original languages by doing, by writing papers, doing exegesis, showing how you understand the syntax and the, and you can understand the proper grammatical construction that the authors are using. And you can show that, you know, you understand this by, by writing your papers, doing exegesis, explaining how all these ideas are connected and, you know, and explain that using the grammar of the original languages, because you're typically going to be learning the historical grammatical hermeneutic is what that's called, which I don't have a problem with. I agree with that, with that hermeneutic, okay? But I'm just saying, this is the kind of stuff that you're learning, and you'll be learning all the important important things that you need to understand to understand a, a book of the Bible properly. Like, okay, what's the historical context of which in which this book was written? Understanding stuff about the author and the perspective of the author who wrote that book. Understanding, well, who, were, who, who was the original audience of, that, of this book? How would they have understood this book? All, all these important things, which I'm not trying to downplay or add like, oh, well, these things don't really matter. Of course, these things are important, but what gets left out when you're emphasizing all of these things and you take classes where a professor explains this stuff and you're learning the original language and trying to understand the grammar of the, of the original language so you can read these texts in the original language and, and, and follow the, the, the grammar of, you know, of these texts. And you're learning, you know, you're reading all these books, giving you the context of, uh, of, of what books of the Bible, of the, how the books in the Bible were written and all these kinds of things. What's left out of all of that? Think about that. 
What have I not mentioned in describing the education that most Christians get when they're just learning how to read the Bible? What is left out? Well, of course, Jesus Christ is left out. And specifically, how Jesus himself read and interpreted the Bible during his earthly ministry, which we have many, many examples of in the Gospels. And so we can learn from God himself reading his own book, okay? God wrote a book, and then God comes to earth, takes the form of, you know, comes to earth as, as a human, takes on flesh himself, comes to earth as one of us, and then reads his own book for us, shows us how we are to understand it. God comes and shows us how he interprets himself and his, his, his own word that he has revealed to us. And the fact that Christians typically neglect this, think about the amazing insight that we get from this, that God himself has shown us how to read the Bible and understand it the way he understands it, the way he wants us to understand it, the way he wants us to read it. And yet this is something, and I'm not sitting here telling you that every class or every book talking about hermeneutics and exegesis necessarily leaves this out. I'm sure you'll find examples where they do talk about how Jesus reads the Bible, but my understanding, and by all means, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, my understanding is that th this is something that is not emphasized and is oftentimes not even covered at all. And you're not really going to typically get, let's say you're in a Bible college class on reading the Bible, you're not typically going to get an assignment saying, okay, read through the Gospels, look at all the examples of how Jesus interprets the Bible, look at, you know, how does he do it? What, what are lessons and rules you can learn from how he interprets the Bible? And then you do that, figure out, okay, then you get taught, like, okay, yeah. This is, this is what he does, and then get, be given assignments of, okay, so now let's take this Old, Test, Old Testament book or Old Testament passage and look at and, and apply these rules of how Jesus, of how Jesus, and apply how Jesus reads the Bible to certain Old Testament books or Old Testament passages or whatever. So you're literally taking what you've learned from the, the lessons of how Jesus interprets the Bible and applying them yourself so that you are actively doing it and learning how to interpret the Bible the way Jesus does and re learn, learn to how to read the Bible the way Jesus reads the Bible. Um, I don't think that's something that is being widely taught in books on reading the Bible or in classes on reading the Bible. Again, if you have counterexamples or if you, you have such books or you've taken uh, classes where this is taught and this is an emphasis in the class, then by all means, I would love to hear about this. And if you don't know this already, I'm sure I mentioned this in, in previous episodes of you can contact me at how to be like Jesus at yahoo.com. Okay, if, if you want to uh, uh, tell me your, your own experience with this, but and, I, and I'm not saying this to oh, condemn anyone or whatever, I'm just making the point that my understanding is this is a topic that is unfortunately neglected and and by all means read books and go take classes and whatever to learn all of these important things of the of you know the historical grammatical hermeneutic and how to exegete the original languages if that's something you're interested in i don't think that's something that every layman every lay christian or whatever needs to devote the many many countless hours it would take to actually learn these kinds of things, especially 
foreign languages, okay, and 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 be fluent in them and know them well enough to read the Bible in them, in in a way that you're actually you can actually read and understand it yourself, not constantly be referring to dictionaries, which is what people actually do when they claim they can read these languages fluently, but that's a different topic. Um, so I'm not saying one thing or the other of uh, uh, that, that this is bad and don't do it, or that every Christian needs to do it, like some people will, will claim. But I'm just saying, in addition to that, we really need to emphasize and understand how does Jesus read the Bible? Because this is something that every Christian can learn and should learn and should apply to their own Bible reading. And so with that, that being said, the, uh, setting the stage here for why this is important and not, not only is it important just for the obvious face value reason of, hey, this is God himself telling us how to read his word. Obviously, that's important. Obviously, we need to know about that. But in addition to that, it's something that's neglected, even though there are books and colleges all over. There's colleges all over this country. There's many, many books teaching this, teaching the topic for Christians, for how Christians should read the Bible. And yet somehow, many of which failed to even talk about how Jesus reads the Bible. I mean, think about how important of a subject this is. And so <clears throat> we're going to cover a couple, just a couple of things. There's lots of things you could say about this, of course, and I'm not going to exhaustively tell you all the ways that Jesus interprets the Bible and Jesus's understanding of the Bible. And, and, and I'm not going to leave all stones on, on, I'm not going to, I'm not going to cover every detail of this in this episode. Okay. We're only going to talk about a couple things, but that's, a, that's okay. That means we can keep coming back to this topic again and again in different episodes. The first thing we need to understand, if you want to read the Bible like Jesus and understand, uh, get from it what God wants you to get out of the Bible, you need, you need to understand this really is the most, the most, number one, most important thing. You have to keep this in mind when reading the Bible. I don't care what passage, what verse of the Bible, what book of the Bible, what testament of the Bible. You need to understand that the whole Bible is about Jesus. Whatever you're reading about, somehow it's meant to tell you something about Jesus. I don't care what part it is. It's, it's meant to tell you something about Jesus. And maybe it's not obvious at first. Maybe it's not obvious in a face value kind of way. In fact, most likely, depending on the passage, you're going to look at it and go, I don't see how this could possibly be about Jesus. But I'm telling you, that's what it's about. And we can see that the most obvious example of where Jesus himself explains this, he explains this a couple of places, but probably the most obvious uh, place where he talks about this is the Emmaus Road uh, example from the end of the book of Luke in uh, Luke 24, where I'll just explain the context of these people are traveling, they're, they're, they're on this Emmaus Road. And this is after Jesus had has been crucified and buried, but they do not know about the resurrection. So they just are going along thinking, oh, okay, well, he's just dead and that's just over now. And obviously there are people that were following him and he comes up to them, but he like spiritually disguises himself so they can't recognize him, okay? And so he comes up to them and starts talking to them. And it's, you know, it's kind of an amusing passage if you read it. It's, I'm not sure if Luke necessarily meant this to be funny. I, I think it's funny because he disguises himself, so they cannot, spiritually, they cannot see, they cannot tell that it's him. Okay, he's not like putting on a mask or something. It's, he's kind of spiritually blinding them or whatever. They can't tell that it's him. They don't recognize him. And he starts talking to them and asking them what's going on in order for them to explain to him about himself 
dying and being buried and whatever. And, um, and they're explaining this to him because they don't even realize that it's him. I mean, this is obviously a comic situation. And then he goes on to explain to them how, well, of course the Messiah had to suffer and die because of course this is uh, something that's talked about in the Old Testament. This, is, this was pro <laughs> prophesied, but they don't understand this. And so he explains this to them and he goes on to explain how the whole Bible is about him. Obviously, in this context, he's referring to the Old Testament, but we don't understand. Obviously, this applies to the whole Bible. And so if we just look at that part of the, of the passage here, um, this is where Jesus is talking to them. It's in Luke 24, verse 25. It says, then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And then notice in the what he explains in the next verse, well, this is this is Luke explaining what happens here. It says, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Okay, so verse 27 there makes it very explicit. Luke 24, verse 27, it's very explicit. This is Luke himself explaining this, explaining what Jesus did, that it starts with Moses. He shows him in all the prophets and in all the scriptures, this is talking about the whole Old Testament and says how all of these things are about him, shows how all of these things are pertaining to himself. And so, yes, the whole the whole Old Testament is about Jesus. Oh, even the book of Ruth, even all this weird stuff in the book of Judges. And really, yes. Oh, but how? Well, that's what you have to figure out. But you're not even going to come close to understanding what God wants you to understand about that if you don't begin with the correct understanding, which is that it's about Jesus. If you don't understand that it's that it's all about Jesus and that this stuff is spiritually discerned and you have to you have to understand that, you have to look for it, you have to understand how to look for it, then you're not you're never gonna be able to figure it out. You'll be reading it and just going, oh, I don't know. Yeah, the book of Judges, all these is just telling me about all these different judges and Israel rebelling. And then a judge comes and they come back to faith and violent stuff happens. And I don't know, it's just a weird book, you know, that's, that's what you would think. But no, there's a lot in that book about Jesus. I'm just picking a random book here, the book of Judges. There's a lot in that book about Jesus. You won't, but it's not at a face value kind of reading. You have to, you have to spiritually discern it. And, but you won't even know to do that if you don't know that you're supposed to. You won't even know, you won't even begin to figure out how to spiritually discern these things if you don't even first know that you are supposed to do that and that that is what everything in the Bible is about, ultimately is about Jesus and pointing you to Jesus. If you don't understand that, you will fail to understand the whole Bible. And we understand this when we see things like like atheists that will mockingly say things like, oh yeah, I think people should read the Bible because that'll make more atheists. The, the thing that makes the most atheists is reading the Bible. Well, of course you can read the Bible and just be, oh man, I can't believe in, in this totally sinful, carnal-minded, arrogant, prideful, judgmental attitude towards God and everything that happens in the Bible and go, oh man, I can't believe God did that. Oh, I can't believe he commanded the Israelites to do this or let the Israelites do that. Or, oh, I can't believe he flooded the world. And I can't, and with 
this arrogant, prideful, sinful attitude of God is stupid. God is immoral. I'm better than God. I'm smarter than God. If I were God, I would have made the world better than him and everything would be awesome right now. But, and so on. Well, of course, people can read the Bible with this attitude and come away with all of their stupid beliefs and thoughts about God in the Bible. Uh, but that that doesn't mean that they're reading the Bible correctly, obviously. And so, you know, people, the point being that people can read the Bible all day long and not have a clue what it's about. Do atheists understand how the book of Judges is telling you about Jesus? Of course not. They can't even begin to understand things like that. But even worse than that is how so many Christians can't even begin to understand things like that. And to, I'll give you an example I think I heard this, ex or I uh, read this example from the book, um, Christless Christianity, I think is where I heard this, or once again, read this from, and it's uh, a story that I'm just going to assume is historically true, I don't know, uh, supposedly about Charles Spurgeon, where, of course, Charles Spurgeon was a popular uh, British preacher in um, the, the 1800s, and I'm assuming you've probably heard of Charles Spurgeon, I think most people have, or at least most Christians have, and um, so he had a like young preacher preach behind his pulpit. I don't know if he was like a student or just like a young guy starting out preaching or what. And he, this young preacher, you know, inexperienced guy preached from the book of Ezekiel. I don't know what chapter or whatever, but he preached something from the book of Ezekiel. And then, but he didn't mention Jesus. He's just going through telling you, okay, yeah, it says this and this is what happens. And this means that, you know, just like what anybody that's reading it could could do just reads it and tells you what he thinks it means and okay this is what's happening here in this chapter you know whatever your standard kind of thing there's no, no spiritual discernment really there's no connecting it to jesus explaining how how is this chapter in ezekiel about jesus you might be thinking well what if it's not about jesus well remember what we just read from luke 24 27 of course it is everything in the bible is about jesus in some way you can take it and connect it to jesus and so this guy doesn't do this. He doesn't explain how this is about Jesus. He, you know, interprets it basically like using the, the method we were talking about that most books and classes that talk about reading the Bible would talk about, oh, connect <clears throat> the grammar, explain the grammar and the syntax, explain the historical context of this, you know, all, all that stuff. And again, all of that, I'm not saying that that's stupid or unnecessary or something that it's important when you're reading the Bible at a face value kind of way, you want to actually understand what it's saying and what that means. It's not as if that's unimportant, but again, the deeper spiritual meaning is how it pertains to Jesus, how it's pointing you to Jesus in some way. And so this guy just kind of got the surface level meaning. He's not explaining how it points to Jesus. He's not connecting to Jesus. And so afterwards, Charles Spurgeon told him this, like, hey, you preach this sermon on Ezekiel, you didn't mention Jesus, you didn't connect it to Jesus, and the guy just tells him, well, I don't know how it connects to Jesus, you know, as I'm sure mo many people will be able to sympathize with, yeah, how do you take whatever passes from Ezekiel connected to Jesus, I don't know, and, but to Spurgeon, this was not acceptable, but apparently Spurgeon was like, well, until you can figure out how to connect Ezekiel to Jesus, you won't be preaching behind my pulpit anymore, so you see how important this is to someone like Spurgeon, I think that this is correct, that if you cannot spiritually discern this and understand how all of the Bible, all the scriptures, as Luke said, it can, are connected to Jesus, it, the, these things point to Jesus, then you don't understand what the Bible is about. And atheists and 
different kinds of progressive Christians, whatever kind of people that want to pick apart the Bible and say how, oh, this is wrong and this is bad and see how this shows us that God is bad. And blah, blah, blah. They, don't, they don't have the first clue what they're talking about because they cannot even explain how these things are connected to Jesus. And of course, this is the topic of typology. Uh, I mean, at least that partially covers what we're talking about. And we're not... I'm, as we go into this episode here, this is not an episode on typology. I'm not going to go into explaining how you, how I think you should um, interpret the Bible in a typological way. Um, this is just the first point is that understanding, if you want to read the Bible like Jesus, you need to understand that the whole Bible is about Jesus. And so if you want to learn more about that, of course, I will be covering that kind of topic, I'm sure, in many different episodes because the the Bible, the Bible is obviously full of things like this, as I just explained. The whole Bible is about this, okay. But um, if you want to look up, I know uh, Mike Winger uh, has a playlist of like I think it's thirty some videos, something like that, on, on the topic of typology, and he talks about how he interpret how how he interprets the Bible in a typological way and explains kind of like the do's and don'ts. Like he explains what he considers to be the right way to do it and and also like the wrong ways to do it and gives concrete examples of people doing it in a way that he thinks is abusing the bible and not doing it in, in a correct way so <clears throat> and i'm not saying that i personally agree with everything mike winger preaches or his whole theology or anything like that just because i'm uh, recommending this particular playlist of videos on youtube or on his uh, app uh but i do think i, I think i've watched all of his the, his videos on that topic and basically agree with what he says in that so I, I would recommend checking that out to as a great resource as gr a great resource for learning more about how the the, the types and shadows of, of Jesus in the Old Testament and then another uh, a book if you want to read a book or listen to a book um, on this topic would be the book called I think it's called the Emmaus Code obviously referring here to this passage uh, by David Limbaugh where he goes over a bunch of examples of this and talks about reading the Bible, the Bible typologically and how the Old Testament is all pointing to Jesus. He goes over, I think, every book in the Old Testament and gives examples of that. So if you're wondering, well, how is this done? Check out the Mike Winger videos, check out this David Limbaugh book. And if you have, if you're subscribed to Audible, um, I, I believe it's included in the subscription, at least it's included in my subscription. I don't know if there's different tiers of subscribers or how exactly that works but you know, if you're subscribed to audible it's probably included in your subscription uh, so you can listen to that and so that, that's just the first point to make is that the whole bible is about jesus if you're not reading the you're reading the bible just going oh okay what's this story about and you're not thinking all right how is this pointing me to jesus how is this connected to jesus in some way you're missing literally the main thing God wants you to get from reading his word. And so you really need to start thinking about how, how everything in the Bible connects to Jesus or points you to Jesus in some way that I, I cannot stress this enough. I could just spend the whole added, <laughs> the whole episode reiterating that and giving examples of that. But that's just the first point. I want to go on now quickly to talk about another important thing we need to understand if we want to read the bible like jesus and that is when we're reading the bible we want to look for <clears throat> the principle behind the precept and there's a couple of ways to try to talk about this the principle behind the precept the precept is like the writing and then you're looking for the principle behind that <clears throat> or think of it this way you have the letter of the law 
think about how the Bible talks about this. You have the letter of the law, but then you have the spirit of the law. So think about it in terms of you have at face value what it says, but then you have God's real intention behind that of what he's trying to communicate that's deeper than just the letter of the law at face value. And well, I'll show you examples of what I mean about this. And Jesus reads the Bible explaining and emphasizing the spirit that's deeper than the, just the letter of the law. He's explaining the principle that, that is behind the precept He's ex, of what's actually written there. And if we want to read the Bible the way Jesus does, we need to have that in mind and read the Bible with that in mind, looking for that, looking for what's the principle behind the precept, looking for what's the spirit here be, behind the letter. And so if that's confusing to you, as I imagine it probably is, we're, we're talking in an abstract way here. Here's concrete examples of Jesus reading the Bible in this way. He does this over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount after, after the Beatitudes here in, in Matthew chapter five. So if we just look in, starting in verse 21, Matthew 5, 21, it says, ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Reka shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. And so a lot of people don't understand when Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is going over different laws from the Old Testament. And saying like, oh, it says this, but I say this. And people mistakenly think Jesus is somehow telling us, well, the Old Testament law is wrong. And I'm going to give you new laws correcting these like bad laws in the Old Testament or something like that. Many, many people, including many Christians, mistakenly think that's what he's doing. And that is not what he is doing. He is not saying these laws are an error or these laws are wrong or here, let me correct these. Let me let me. Yeah, of course, these laws were inspired by God. Well, here, let me let me come along now and correct them for you and say, well, it should really say this. Or that. No, that's not what he's doing. He's explaining the spirit of the law that's beyond just the letter of the law. He's explaining the principle of the law that is behind just the precept of the law. And so he's telling you what this law is really trying to get at. And is not, so if we look at this first example here, where it says, you have heard that it was said of them of old time, thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. <clears throat> so, of course, we have this famous law, obviously, part of the Ten Commandments, everyone's aware of, thou shalt not kill. And he's explaining what is, what, what, what is this law actually trying to point you toward? It's not simply pointing you towards, like, hey, just literally do not physically take life from someone else uh, obviously that's what it means that's the face value of what it means that's the letter of the law don't take somebody else's life right but he's explaining well the the spirit of what god is trying to communicate here the principle behind the precept here is it goes much deeper than that it's saying don't even be angry with your brother without a cause now that's way more difficult than just not killing people not killing people is pretty easy i mean sometimes some, sometimes it's not. Some, sometimes you might want to kill people, okay? But for the most part, act, actually not killing people is pretty, it's pretty easy to get through life unless somebody's trying to kill you and you do it out of self-defense. For the most part, it's easy to get through life without just going around killing people. But how hard is it to get through life without being mad at people for no reason? Don't people make you mad for really no rational 
reason, well, you're not supposed to do that either. Because what the law, what God, I'll put it this way, what God is actually concerned with is more than just your behavior. He's concerned with your character. He wants you, to, we, we as Christians, as disciples of Christ, we're, model, we're not just <clears throat> trying to behave a certain way. We're not just trying to follow a certain list of rules. And I'm not saying that we're not doing that, but it's more than that. Because the point of our behavior is to shape our character. And then once our character, it, it's like this circular thing. We, you start to behave in a certain way. And maybe, you, maybe you're very angry and you were like, oh, I want to kill people. And you're really angry at people all the time. Even, when, even if people aren't actually doing anything, you don't have a call. You're just like, that person's stupid looking and you're just mad at them or whatever. All right, that that per that is not a good reason to be mad at someone just because they're wearing a stupid hat you don't like or that you, you don't like their stupid face or whatever. Well, that's not being angry, you know, with the cause, is it? No, that person didn't do anything to you. And but you but you modify your behavior, and then by modifying your behavior, that starts changing your character, and then that in turn leads towards even better behavior and so on. It's this cyclical kind of thing. It's a circular thing. Changing your behavior changes your character, which in turn changes your behavior even more. And you can either go in a bad, sinful direction or in a good direction where you're modeling your behavior and therefore your character off of Christ. That's what we're supposed to do as disciples of Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. The word Christian means Christ-like. That's what we're supposed to be. And so the point of the law, and you need to understand this, this will become clear. In fact, let's jump ahead to um, a different one of a different one of the examples that Jesus gives, talking about the law. Okay, but just to make the point about the law about murder and anger. The the <clears throat> the point of the law, of course, God doesn't want people murdering people, but even more so, He doesn't want people to be angry with each other because you're being violent towards people within your own heart. Just like He says later on in this chapter about. Not don't commit adultery, but also don't lust after a woman in your heart, because when you do that, you're committing adultery with her already in your heart. Well, in the same kind of way, if you're angry at people, yeah, you're, you're not literally murdering them. You're not literally taking their life from them, but there is a sense in which you are, are murdering them in your heart by having this anger against them for no reason. Just like even if you're not literally committing adultery with someone, by lusting after that person, you are doing that in your heart. And Again, God is concerned with your heart, just that like he is with your behavior. He's concerned with your character, like he's concerned with your behavior, because these things both feed into each other. And these laws, while being laws to regulate people's behavior, because obviously these laws were given to Israel so that their judges, their judges could judge righteously and police people's behavior. Okay, a judge is not going to judge, uh, just another person making judgments. It's not going to judge your character, is he? I mean, we would certainly hope not. That we, I don't think anyone wants to live under that kind of a tyrannical, authoritative government where another person who is a judge is just going to sit there and make judgments on your character and decide to give you the death penalty or imprison you or make you pay a fine or something based on, well, you seem like a person of bad character and so off with your head or something. You, you don't want that. But God has a moral standard based on his nature, which is perfect. And that moral standard doesn't change just because this law is based on your behavior. So the, the law was given to Israel so you could have judges judge people's behavior so that you don't have total chaos and people just doing whatever they want without 
their behavior being reined in in some way because we saw what happened when people were allowed to just do that and you had the entire world being violent to the point where God flooded the whole earth and killed everyone except for two of each kind of animal and eight people because the earth was so violent that God had to essentially wipe the slate clean and start over. And so that is what happens when you just let people indulge in their sin and basically kind of regulate themselves and just try to do whatever they want. That doesn't work. You need to have laws and a court system basically set up to regulate people's behavior so that it doesn't turn in to the Hatfields and McCoys and people trying to just <clears throat> kill each other and get revenge on each other and the whole world becoming violent. That is the reason for the laws. But the laws do, the laws of the Old Testament are like a bridge between our absolute evil, sinful behavior that if it goes totally unchecked will lead to worldwide chaos as it literally did in our past, okay? So you have that on one end of the scale. On the other end of the scale is God's perfect moral character based on his perfect nature, which is no violence, obviously no uh, no adultery, it's perfect love, perfect compassion, self-sacrificial love, no violence, etc. And the law that we find in the Old Testament is kind of a bridge in between that where God is condescending to us in our situation, being sinners in a sinful world that cannot even possibly meet his perfect standards. And so he is basically watering down what is actually his perfect standard, watering that down, condescending toward us as sinners to give us a law that regulates our behavior in a way to where we're nowhere near meeting his actual standard of perfection just by obeying these laws, but we're also nowhere near the entire world um, descending into violent chaos like it did in the beginning of Genesis, okay? So I hope that made sense because a lot of people give a false impression of the law that the law just is God's perfect moral standard. No, God, the law is not God's perfect moral standard just written out for us to follow because if that were the case, we could never follow it. <clears throat> and I'm not saying that we perfectly follow the law as it is anyway or that the Israelites ever did or whatever, but at least it's a, it's a reason, again, it's this reasonable kind of middle area. And it is not, okay, I, I want you to understand this, it is not God's perfect moral standard just given to us on these stone tablets for us to just try to behave that way in order to meet God's perfect moral standard or something. No, that's not what the law is. The, the law is God condescending toward us, meeting us halfway, so to speak, as sinners to give us rules that we could reasonably follow that we're still nowhere near meeting his perfect standard, but it's way better than total chaotic violence to where God would want to flood the world again. Of course, he won't because he promised he won't, so we don't have to worry about that. But the point is, that is the kind of thing that would that would need to happen to rein in our sinful, violent behavior if we didn't have a law regulating our behavior. And we can clearly see, as Jesus is explaining this, that, that the Old Testament law is not God's perfect moral standard because Jesus is explaining that God's perfect moral standard as the spirit behind the letter of the law or the principle behind the precept of the law. That's why he's explaining, yeah, the law says, thou shalt not kill, but I'm saying don't even be angry with your brother without a cause because that is representing God's perfect moral standard. Whereas the law is just giving a law so that our behavior can be legally regulated basically, but it is way more watered down than what God's perfect moral standard actually is. 
because, you know, obviously just not killing people is way more watered down and is not at all meeting God's perfect moral standard of do not be angry at people. Okay. See how not being angry at people is way more strict and way more reflection of God's perfect moral standard based on his nature and his character more so than just, just don't kill people, which most of us can follow very easily in our lives. And yet don't be angry at your brother without a cause is much more difficult to follow. Okay. So I'm hoping everyone can follow along with that difference because this is what Jesus is doing. He's explaining the spirit behind the letter of the law. And he's explaining how the intention of the law is to lead us towards God's actual moral standards, but it, it doesn't, it's, it's not actually God's moral standards. And God is condescending toward us as sinners to give us something that we could handle doing to regulate our behavior. But, but then Jesus explaining God's intention behind this is that for us to actually try to strive beyond the letter of the law to try to meet his, his actual perfect moral standard. Once again, not that we will actually do it because obviously we're all sinners. We all need Jesus to atone for our sins and accept the free gift of eternal life through our faith. We're not going to meet God's moral standard just by our behavior, but, but Jesus explaining the, the goal there. And so <clears throat> if you don't understand this concept, you're having trouble understanding it or you're, you're rebelling against it going, no, 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 the law, that is God's perfect moral standard. God's perfect moral standard is embodied in the law. What do you mean God condescending toward us as sinners to give us laws to regulate our behavior, but that's different from his perfect moral standards? That, that doesn't make any sense. Why would, God, why would God do that? Why would God give us a law that doesn't represent his perfect moral standard? Well, as I just explained, it's because we could never meet his perfect moral standard. So he gave us a law saying his perfect moral standard, it would literally be like, okay, don't be angry at anyone. Oh, you got angry? All right, we have to execute you. Oh, don't lust after anyone in your heart. Oh, do you look at that girl? All right, execute them. All right, do you see how the Israelites will all be dead in like a day? Right, you couldn't have a law with actual legal repercussions that represent God's moral standard because every, pretty much everyone would just have to be killed by the judges and then the judges will all have to start executing themselves because we cannot meet God's moral standard. So of course the law is... God's moral standard watered down and 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 trying to meet us halfway, so to speak. Again, I'm just using that as an expression. It, it, he's condescending toward our sinful behavior, our sinful natures, our sinful world to try to give us a law <clears throat> to regulate our behaviors that is way more watered down than what his perfect moral standard actually is. And if we look later on in Matthew chapter five, we see irref- an irrefutable uh, demonstration of that and what Jesus says. So if you look in Matthew chapter 5, verse 31, Jesus flat out says this when he talks about divorce. It says, it hath been said, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. Okay, so so he's explaining what what the law is in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant for, the, for Israel, that if you want to get a divorce, it says, whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. And so he's... Okay, I'm going to be honest with you. (laughs) That is not what I thought 
is what this uh, passage was going to say. So he's explaining, he's explaining the conditions under which people can legally get a get a divorce, and he's explaining that the the getting a writing of divorcement, as he puts it, is you know for specific reasons, and that unless it's for uh, fornication that basically you you cannot legally be given the the writing of divorcement but that is not what i thought and then he moves on to different things so what i was thinking of when he explains divorce in such a way that he's clearly talking about uh god condescending toward us as sinners a very clear example of that is in mark chapter 10 so let's go to mark chapter 10 and look at that i thought i would be able to explain everything I wanted to talk about just looking at Luke 24 and, and Matthew chapter 5 but that's okay we'll go we'll go to Mark chapter 10 and check this out of what how Jesus talks about um divorce in Mark chapter 10 and it says and he arose from thence and cometh into the coast of Judea by the farther side of Jordan and the people resorted unto him again and as he was once he taught them again and the Pharisees came to him and asked and asked him is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? Okay, so, you know, the Pharisees always do. They're always asking these kind of trick questions, trying to catch them in some kind of weird riddle or philosophical kind of conundrum or whatever to try to get him to slip up, say something stupid, say something that is like against the law or whatever so they can catch him and go, oh, see, this is a guy that you like? Yeah, he's a, he's a false teacher. See, look what, he, look what we just got him to say. Of course, it never worked. Because obviously, how are you going to trick God into saying something wrong about the book that he wrote? It's obviously an insane thing to try to do, but, you know, they're spiritually dark and they don't even realize what they're doing. Anyway, and then it says, and he answered and said unto them, what did Moses command you? So they asked like, oh, can a man get a divorce? So he asked them, what did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. And of course, suffered means allowed. Like M Moses let us get divorced is basically their answer and it says and jesus answered and said unto them for the hardness of your heart he wrote you this precept okay so we get the precept now we're going to understand the principle behind the precept exactly as i've been explaining and notice already what he said for the hardness of your heart he wrote you this precept but from the beginning of the creation god made them male and female for this cause shall man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and they twain shall be one flesh so then they are no more twain but one flesh what therefore god hath joined together let no man put asunder and in the house of his and in the house his disciples asked him again of the same matter and he saith unto them whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her and if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another she committeth adultery which is similar to what we see him saying in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. But notice this, and there's lots of little details in this that I find interesting, but I'll also take the opportunity here to point out. So he says, from the beginning of creation, God made them fit me. Oh my gosh. God made them male and female. So one thing to point out, all right, what, what, what is, what is it to be a male and a female? Is this, is this a uh, culturally constructed just idea or no? It's in our it's in our natures, and but it's more than just oh yeah we biologically have these chromosomes. It's also from the authority of God that we are created this way. It is beyond just nature because nature ha doesn't have. There's nothing authoritative about nature for that people should necessarily care 
what your biology is just naturally speaking uh if you don't believe in god and you think there's just nature well nature has no authority to tell you how to live so when people just appeal to biology and they don't appeal to god there isn't really any authority behind that there's no reason why someone can't go well okay well nature has no authority nature doesn't tell me how to live even if it's true that i am naturally like this why can't i choose to live a completely different way and do whatever i want to my body and whatever nature has no authority you th this kind of secular conservatism that's just like oh i'll just appeal to nature to show why transgender ideology whatever isn't correct well there's no authority behind nature so you can do that all you want but people want to people are going to live how they want you know, nature itself is not going to tell people what to do anyway. But yes, people are made, people are created by God, male and female. Those are the only two options. That's the way God made people. And he puts that in our nature. But the reason that, that people should abide by that is because God has authority over his creation and says that that's the way things are. Okay. Just appealing to nature in some secular godless way to try to tell people what to do is stupid and secular conservatism is going to collapse in utter failure. But anyway, it's not getting into that. Um, and then notice also it's saying, but from the beginning of creation. So I emphasize God made them male and female. Now it's emphasized from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. What does that mean? It means from the beginning of creation, there were male and female, Adam and Eve. When did Adam and Eve come around? Did they evolve from some ape-like common ancestor billions of years into earth history, billions of years into the history of God's creation? Or were they created specifically and distinct from every other life form on earth and were created at the beginning of creation? Gee, I wonder if Jesus has anything to say about that. Yeah, right here, where he said that God that he said from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. That means Adam and Eve as distinct human beings and with distinct genders that God authoritatively assigned them to have were created, not evolved, created from the beginning of creation. I mean, at the actual beginning of God's creation, like, oh, I don't know, within a couple of days of his creation, maybe they were created, not billions of years into the history of creation, but at the beginning of it. So that's just some details of this passage I want to point out. But to the main point, Jesus, again, this passage is clearly communicating that Jesus condescends toward us and our, our, I mean, and yeah, that's true, Jesus as well, but more generically speaking, God condescends toward us in our sinfulness and made a law that does not reflect his perfect moral standard, but is a law that is watered down meant to regulate our behavior. When he says, we're looking at verse five now, Mark 10, verse five. And Jesus answered and said unto them, for the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. So yeah, he he lets you get a divorce, Moses, he's saying. Why do you do that? Because of the hardness of your heart. Because if he told you, hey, in, in Genesis, in the, in, the, in the Garden of Eden, there is no divorce. People got together. Adam and Eve, they got together. They couldn't, they couldn't be separated. That's God's standard. You get together, you're one flesh. And God puts you together and no man can put you asunder. That's what he goes on to explain. Is that, but that's not the law as Moses handed it down to the Israelites. Why? Because of, as Jesus said, for the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. So no, this is not God's perfect moral standard. This is God's law regulating our behavior. It's watered down from his perfect moral standard, which is no divorce. You can't, no 
people cannot put asunder what God has put together. That's God's perfect moral standard for people. That's the way it was for Adam and Eve. That's the way it would be in the garden if the fall didn't happen and the human race got to just flourish in the garden. But instead, we have under very uh, specific circumstances in the old covenant law, people are allowed to get a writing of divorcement. And the reason God allowed them to do that, as Jesus himself said, is because of the hardness of the hearts of the Israelites. That's what he explained. So if you can't understand from that, that the Old Testament law is not God's perfect moral standard, but is this watered down, it's, it's watered down from his moral standard, giving us a law to regulate our behavior. And it's this kind of this bridge in between our unregulated evil chaos of our sinful nature just going just just going wild and it's in between that and god's perfect moral standard that's that is the area that the law covers i don't know how else would be any more clear than reading what jesus just said there in mark chapter 10 but the other thing that the reason we're talking about this and what i want you to take away from this is and and read all of matthew chapter 5 especially yourself and look at all these different examples we just looked at a little bit but there's all these different examples I said with thou shalt like how the law says thou shalt not kill, but Jesus says, and he's not correcting the law, he's explaining the principle behind the precept, he's explaining the spirit of the law behind the letter of the law. That Jesus says that God really wants us to not be angry with our brother in our hearts. That the law says don't commit adultery, but the God's moral standard behind the letter of the law is that we sh shouldn't even uh lust upon people thereby committing adultery within our hearts and, and and so on and so we need to understand that when we're reading the bible we're trying to understand why does god have people do this because this is a thing that really confuses christians bothers christians this is a thing that will make christians give up on their faith not understanding well why why does god why does god tell people to do this why is god doing x y and z why does he command the israelites to do this why does the law say this a, a big thing that christians argue about and again people get very upset about and will literally abandon their faith because they don't understand oh man all this stuff in the law oh there it seems like you know they have all these laws about things why do you have laws about this and why are you punishing people for this and uh, and they don't understand it well take what we just learned from jesus reading the law in the sermon on the mount take that to your reading of you know exodus and leviticus and numbers and deuteronomy and see if that helps you make sense of it. And so those are just the two things we, I wanted to go over today in talking about how Jesus reads the Bible and therefore how we are to read the Bible if we're going to read the Bible like Jesus. We need to, we need to understand that the whole Bible, all the, all the prophets, all the scriptures, as Luke explained, is about Jesus, it's pointing us to Jesus and connecting, it's connected to Jesus in some way. We need to understand how, if we don't understand how Ruth and Esther and Judges and whatever is connected to Jesus, then we don't understand those books. Maybe you understand, maybe you know the stories that happen in them and you could explain them in like a Sunday school class or something. Oh, okay, yeah, this is what happens. But if you don't understand how that connects to Jesus, then you've, you, you, you've actually missed the entire point because that is what God wants us to understand is how these things connect to Jesus. That is the main point of everything in the Bible is to teach us about Jesus, not to just give us stories and, oh, teach us moral lessons or whatever. No, it's to tell us about Jesus. That's what everything in the Bible is about. So you need to understand that. You need to read the Bible with that in mind. If you're going to read the Bible like Jesus, understand 
what God is trying to reveal to us and the main thing he's trying to communicate to us is that all this stuff is about Jesus. And of course, like I said, check out uh, these resources I recommended if you want to learn more about how to do that. And of course, I'm going to cover more of that in later episodes. Um, I'm <clears throat> not covering any more uh, material in, in this episode. So that's the first thing. Uh, read, read the Bible looking for Jesus everywhere. The whole thing's about him. And then understanding the principle behind the precept, understanding that you do not just take everything you read at face value. Oh, God said to, to thou shalt not do this. And so, yeah, that's God's perfect moral standard. That's what God wants people to do forever. For all of time, God wants to make sure people don't wear mixed fabrics. Man, let me, let me see what, what fabrics your shirt's made out of. Oh man, it's got cotton and polyester. Oh, you're a sinner, you're breaking God's law. Oh, this is the kind of stupid nonsense that you hear from your typical atheist because they have no idea what they're talking about. Oh, well, I read the Bible and that's how I became an atheist. <laughs> um, I don't care because you have no idea what you're reading. You have no idea what you're talking about. And so do not uh, read the Bible like that, okay? When, when you are reading the Bible and trying to read the Bible like Jesus, you need to try to understand the spirit behind the letter and understand what God is trying to communicate. And so read how Jesus explains these things to understand how that works. And then take that and apply that to your own reading of the Bible. And, and that doesn't only apply to the Old Testament either. There's also, the, the whole Bible is filled with deep, deep spiritual meaning and different deep layers of what God is revealing. And the surface layer, the, sur the, the face value reading, the surface reading is important for, for understanding it at that level, but there's always deeper spiritual levels to go. And you do not just stop at that, surface level and think okay well i understand it because whatever no there's deeper levels there's the spirit behind the letter and that is what you need to try to understand and that involves understanding how it's about jesus and that involves other other things as well and you need to be looking for that because that is what jesus did when he read the bible he obviously as being being god and and being the one who inspired what the bible says he knows all the deep spiritual meaning all these spiritual levels to what the bible says and he knows how it all points to him but we need to see how he reads that Re read through matthew 5 see all the ways he explains that and learn what you can from that and apply that to your reading of the bible as well so that's what i want you to understand look for jesus everywhere in the bible and look for the principle behind the precept look for the spirit and the deeper spiritual meanings behind the letter of what it says and don't just stop at the face value reading that those are the things that's the takeaway that's what i want you to understand from this episode and i hope you i i hope that's something i mean i hope that's something you're already doing but i imagine for a lot of people it, it's not and by all means read books talking about how to read things in their context and and, and all that other stuff too that's also important but you need to start doing this and applying this to your bible reading and so I hope that I hope that uh, that that's helpful for people. I hope you start you, you take these things and apply them to your reading of the Bible. And again, if you want to contact me for whatever reason, um, I, you can email me at how to be like Jesus at yahoo.com. And I uh, I also have uh, videos talking about um, theological topics on uh, TikTok right now. Called uh, my you can look up my name Jason Wolf with the e at the end of Wolf um on tiktok or you can just uh my handle is jason it's at jason twin dead uh on tiktok for my, my videos on there and um so otherwise i uh, hope everyone uh 
learned something from this and enjoyed this episode and we'll come back for episode four and I'll talk to you then and God bless.